Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes, warm our hearts, mold our wills. Speak truth to us, I pray. Help us to see the heart of Jesus. Help us to see the incredible love of, of, of Jesus and the grace that he wants to show us. Please, Lord, by your Spirit, open our eyes. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the reasons why I love this gospel is because the gospel of John introduces us to some very interesting three-dimensional characters. Jesus has these vivid encounters with people in the gospel of John, and we're just getting started. We got this interesting encounter with Nicodemus in chapter 3, and now we have an encounter with someone who, if you put people on the spectrum of of People that have it all together, and then people that are completely broken. You got Nicodemus over here, and you got the Samaritan woman over here. So these two interactions, John's doing this on purpose. He wants us to see something about who. He wants us to see who did Jesus come to save. Who are the beneficiaries of God's incredible grace? So we're going to eavesdrop on a conversation that Jesus had with the Samaritan and not just a Samaritan, which I think, let me go back to Gabe's message last week, right? He preached on the good Samaritan. Now, check this out. Gabe didn't preach in our series in John. He preached from, does anybody remember? Gospel Luke. Preached from the Gospel Luke. And in that Gospel, he preached about the good Samaritan. And he taught us last week about the Jews' relationship with the Samaritans. And so if you want to learn more about that, I'd say go back and listen to Gabe's message. I'm not going to repeat everything that he said. But isn't it interesting that our first day back in John, we've got Jesus talking to a Samaritan. I wonder, church, I wonder if the Spirit of God is pressing something down in our hearts about this truth. Who? are the beneficiaries of God's grace. And this is not just a Samaritan. It's a Samaritan woman. And not just a Samaritan woman, a Samaritan woman who is seriously sexually immoral. We have someone that Religious leaders and rabbis and good Jews would have nothing to do with. And look at Jesus. You know why this, this passage is interesting? This is the longest recorded conversation of Jesus with anybody in the Bible. It's with a Samaritan. It's with a Samaritan woman who were disregarded. You talk about a sexist chauvinistic, oppressive society towards women. You're, you're dealing with it here. But Jesus, he, doesn't, he breaks all kinds of social taboos and he doesn't care who he ticks off doing it. But then on top of that, and this is why I read you verse 16, she's immoral. She's an adulterer. She's, and the laws in that time only allowed for three marriages. She's already been married five times, and the guy she's living with now isn't even her husband. 
Who are the beneficiaries of God's grace, I ask? Why Nicodemus and Samaritan immoral woman? Why? Why does the scripture do that? I'll tell you why. Because the gospel, which is the good news about Jesus, is not some abstract concept. The gospel is real. And it concerns real people and real places. People like Nicodemus and people like the Samaritan woman. Jesus is a real Messiah. He's the real Christ. He's the real Savior that came from God to bring life. To whom did he come? Who belongs with Jesus? Who did Jesus come for? The world of sinners loved by God includes respectable insiders and broken outsiders. Where are you at? Jesus want, God wants us to see this. The world of sinners that Jesus loves and came to save includes proud, self-righteous, good, religious people that seem to have it all together. People like Nicodemus. And salvation includes people broken, running from God, overwhelmed with shame and guilt. Jesus is real his gospel is true. Jesus is concerned about real people and real places. Real people like you, real places that we live in, like Downingtown and Thorndale and Coatesville. It's not an abstract concept, guys. The gospel's real and it's intended for us. This is not some purely theoretical, theological study that we're engaging in this morning. It's for real people like you and like me. And I love that. Nicodemus, educated, powerful, respected, religious, theologically trained leader in the community. Samaritan woman, unschooled, zero influence, despised. Nicodemus, a man, a Jew, a ruler. Samaritan, a woman, a, a Samaritan, a moral outcast. What's the, what brings them both together? They both need Jesus. There's another way of saying this. Everybody needs Jesus. You all need Jesus. Or as they say in Texas, all you all need Jesus. We all need Jesus. We all need Jesus. It doesn't matter where you find yourself on the spectrum. You may think that you don't need Jesus, but you do. You may think that you're beyond the reach of, of Jesus, but you're not. That's the truth of this gospel. Here's my main point. Write this down. No one is beyond the reach of God's grace. And no one is beyond the need of God's grace. That's it. That's the main point. If you get that, you get the main point. No one is beyond the reach of God's amazing, incredible grace. Some of you, perhaps sitting in here this morning or at home, you remember what it was like to be lost. You remember that feeling, and you're so grateful that you, even at times, maybe thought you were beyond the reach of God's grace. You had sinned your way out of the, the, the possibility that God could show love to you. No one 
is beyond the reach of God's grace. And no one, even if you don't think you need him, is beyond their great need for the grace of Jesus. Let's take a look. And I want to start. You could in some ways start with no one is beyond the need of God's grace, God's grace because that's Nicodemus. But we just read this passage. I'm going to start with no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. And we're going to take a look in depth at what's going on with this Samaritan woman and Jesus' interaction with her. But then I want to circle back to this point of not being, not being beyond the need of God's grace. Because I think that has real application for us here at Brand New One Grace. Got it? All right, let's go. No one's beyond the reach of God's grace. Let's look at the text. Let's kind of walk through the text. Jesus left Judea and headed north. So, so I don't have a map for you to look at, but just picture this. He was heading north on the map, okay? He was down in Jerusalem, and now he's heading north to Galilee, okay? So he's, he's got this walk north to take. Now, you could get to Galilee really fast if you took the shortcut. And the shortcut was through Samaria. But what do we know about Samaria? It's full of Samaritans. So good, self-respecting Jews wouldn't take the shortcut. They would cross the Jordan River and go all the way around and up north to Galilee, or they would go towards the sea and walk up towards Galilee. Now, it's not to say that no one ever cut through Samaria. No Jew ever cut through Samaria. They did. But the point is that it wasn't typically what someone would do, especially if they were real religious. They didn't want to defile themselves. So they didn't cut through Samaria. But the scripture tells us that he went north to Galilee and he had to pass through Samaria, it says. We're going to come back to that. He came to a city in Samaria, and that city, Sychar, Sychar, what it's known for is something very interesting. What it's known for is it's a place where Jacob, father, Israel, dug a well. It's famous for that reason. It's an very important piece of land because Jacob had actually given that land to his son Joseph. Some kids in here. You guys probably know the story of Joseph. The, the Jacob gave that tract of land to his son Joseph. So this is an important piece of land in the, in the Bible story. And he had dug a well there, which is very, the well is an important piece of the setting of the story because it's all about drinking and needing a drink of living water. Right? And so, so this well features prominently in the story. Now, check this out. Do you know how long ago that well had been dug by, by Jacob now that Jesus is sitting next to it? 2,000 years. So this is a special well. It actually had not run dry. It was, it was a well that just kept offering refreshing water to the people that lived there. In this case, the Samaritans. So this well had been there so long that it was considered a sacred site. Sacred to anyone who traced their roots back to Jacob, which the Samaritans did. Incidentally, 
you can still get a drink of water from that well today. It's still providing water. Now, the scripture tells us that when Jesus got there, he was wearied from his journey. So he was, he was tired, and he was sitting beside the well, and then we're told it was about the sixth hour. Sixth hour is noon, 12 o'clock, in a desert. So he's tired from walking, but what else is happening? It's the heat of the day. It's 12 noon. He's thirsty and tired. Guys, see in this too. Here is a picture of the humanity of Jesus. John's highlighting that for us. Jesus really is fully the Son of God, but he's fully human as well. And that's so important for our salvation because we need a Savior who is like us in every way. Jesus got tired and he got thirsty. And the scripture reveals that. So he's sitting there. Can you see him sitting there? I can just about picture him in my mind's eye sitting there. He's tired and he's thirsty. Then a woman shows up. A Samaritan woman shows up to get water. I'll back up and say the disciples weren't with him. They had gone away to buy food for lunch. Now, this is interesting. You might say, well, why did they go? Why didn't Jesus go with them? Well, we're going to see why he didn't go with them. Because he's got some important conversations to have but it was normal in case you're wondering it was normal for disciples to take care of the lodging and meals of their rabbi like it was that was just a thing that they did it was one of the the rabbi taught them and discipled them and they took care of their travel arrangements and lodging and meals and Jesus was a good rabbi he was known as a good teacher and so his disciples were doing what disciples do they went off to into town to get some lunch But Jesus had this important conversation with the Samaritan woman. And the conversation that he's going to have with her helps us to answer the question, who are the beneficiaries of God's grace? So the woman appears at the well and Jesus asks her for a drink. And this is a shocking moment. It certainly shocked her. That's the effect. She, what is this Jewish man doing asking me for a drink? What's he doing here? Why is he asking me? He's passed through Samaria. Then he asks a woman for a drink. A Jewish man would have never done such a thing. And then he doesn't anything to drink with he doesn't have anything to get water with so she said what do you what do you what are you going to draw it with I'll draw you water what are you going to drink out of a, a, a Jew would have never taken a cup from a Samaritan poured water in it and drank out of it I mean Jesus is breaking every religious law every social taboo now check this out women would have never been at that well at 12 noon. Why? Well, it was women's, the, the women's task to get water for the family. You would never come, this is just good smarts, you would never come in the heat of the day to get water. You would come either early in the morning when the sun was down, or you'd wait until the sun went down in the evening. So what is this woman doing here at 12 
noon. I'll tell you what she's doing here. She is a complete moral outcast. And she doesn't want the eyes of all the self-righteous women of that society and people that are going to judge her. She's had enough of that. So she comes when she can be by herself. And she can get some water from the well and not have the judging eyes all over her, magnifying her shame and her guilt. You seeing some things come together here? This is a grossly immoral woman. And she is isolated, and she is lonely, and she comes by herself. Now look in verse 16. I already shared this with you. Jesus knows her whole background. That's why she calls him a prophet. He says, oh, well, go. It's, it's like a setup. Well, go get your husband and come back here. We'll finish our conversation. And she says, I don't have a husband. He says, no, you did have five. And, and you're right in saying that the one you're living with right now ain't your husband. And so, well, Jesus is reading the mail here. Whoa, who is this? So she's smart enough to know that he's a prophet of some sort. God given, God given him some clarity into the situation. God knows you. God knows you in and out. He knows anything good that you've ever done, but he knows you warts and all. He knows you like no one else knows you. Does that make you uncomfortable? There's a sense in which it should make you uncomfortable unless you understand the point of this story, which is God's grace is for you when you're good, seemingly beyond the need of it, and when you've been bad. And when you've been bad in ways that nobody else knows but God knows. And he still comes to you. Because he's got this incredible love for broken people. After offering a drink of his living water, she responds. She says, sir, give me this water. So that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. What about that last point? Why would she say, give me a drink of that water so I don't have to come here anymore to get water. So I don't have to come to Jacob's well anymore. You might think she's having this incredible godly response to Jesus. Like, oh, he's going to give me something that satisfies and figuratively or metaphorically, I won't have to come here anymore. I don't think that's what's happening. In fact, I don't think she understands Jesus until a little bit later on. So why did she say it? Why would she say, so I don't have to come. give me that, do something for me so that I don't have to come back here anymore? The reason probably goes something like this. I hate it. Every time I have to come here.
I feel like I've got a scarlet letter A. Sewn. Onto my clothing. I hate it because I have to try and sneak past the eyes of every person in the village. And when I come here to get my water, I feel ashamed. I feel guilty. I feel alone. So I'm saying, Jesus, if you have water like this, would you please give it to me? Would you give me something that takes away my guilt and my shame? Anybody relate to that? Please, Jesus. If you ever wanted to find someone who considered themselves beyond the reach of God's grace, you just found them. A character in complete contrast to the religious leader, Nicodemus. And the point of the story is this. No one is beyond the reach of God's grace. Aren't you grateful for that, church? Aren't you grateful that no one is beyond the reach of God's grace? No one's beyond. Do you see the love of Jesus? I want us, church, I feel like we need to know this more. We need to know, like the love of Jesus needs to, this is why I love reading reading Charles Spurgeon's sermons, because I think there's some people that preach, there's preachers that preach this. Like there's a flavor and a tone that comes from me when I preach, that comes from Gabe, J. Russ, guys, when they preach. This is my prayer, and I pray that we're changing in some way, because I want this. And it's not to say that these guys and, and I haven't been faithful to preach God's word, but there's a flavor and a tone that, that, that infuses everything that we say that isn't necessarily in the text. Do you feel me? It's like, it's like who we are comes out. I can't preach out of anything less than who I am. And what I want to be for this church and beyond. What I want to be is someone that when you touch, when you listen, when you hear what you feel is the heart of Jesus for you. I want you to feel his incredible love, his incredible grace, that no one's beyond the reach of God's grace. There's a sense in which that truth ought to flavor everything that I say. I want you to live lives that way. I want you to live a life that the flavor of it is to everybody that you touch. They come in contact with something they might not even be able to articulate, but they would say, I don't know, but when I'm around this person, I feel a certain way. They make me feel loved. They make me feel worth something. They make me feel like Jesus would make you feel. We need more of that, church. That's what a community like Downingtown needs desperately. I want to go back to he had to pass through Samaria. Verse 4, and he had to pass through Samaria. There's a sense in which we could say, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. He could have done what they normally did, which is go right around Samaria. 
Why did Jesus have to pass? Why does John say he had to pass through Samaria? Had to. Because he had an appointment with a broken outsider. A woman who was overwhelmed with shame and guilt. She didn't know that she, that she was in Jesus' appointment book. She didn't know that she was in Jesus' planner for the debt. But Jesus did. Jesus had to go through Samaria. He had to break all kinds of social customs. He had to break the social taboos to the day. Why? Because there was someone that, that he wanted to extend his incredible, loving grace towards. There was someone that he wanted to surprise everybody and say, See, this is the mystery. Here's a beneficiary of God's grace. You would have never thought that. But I know it. I and the Father know that this is the kind of person that I came to save. So, so he has to pass through Samaria. I read an incredible story this week about, uh, from this man named Stuart Briscoe. He's a writer. He's a pa- he was a pastor in England. And he tells this really dramatic story that I just thought I had to tell you because it highlights this important point. He was in Bible school in England. And he was separated from his wife for the day. Like he was going to take the... Uh, no, she had a ride. He, he was getting picked up and taken somewhere far away, and he was going to leave her the keys for the car because she was going to be able to use the car all day, and then they were going to meet up at this conference. That's what it, it sounds like. But they were going to be hours apart during the day. Well, when he left, he, he got to where he was going, and he realized he had the keys in his pocket. So his wife, who needed to get somewhere, had, and they had cell phones. They he had the keys. She couldn't get to where she was going. So she realizes, okay, how am I going to do this? She starts trying to figure, problem solve this thing. And she finds a car that she's able to borrow. So she's running late. She's got this car that she's going to borrow. She's borrowed. And now she's headed to the conference. On the way to the conference, she sees three girls hitchhiking on the side of the road. So she picks the girls up. They're German students traveling in England and she tells them she asks them what they're doing she tells them what you know she tells them what she's doing she's on her way to this conference it's a Christian conference and it's actually aimed at young people just like you guys in fact I'm going there now I would love for you girls to come with me the girls say okay so she takes them to the conference and one of them gets saved listen to Stuart tell this his account of this girl. She was a theological student in Germany, and I'm reading from his account. She had come under the influence of some teaching that instead of leading her to an intelligent worship of God, had filled her with doubt and confusion. She had delivered an ultimatum to the God whose existence she doubted. I love stories like this. Do you have any stories like this in your life? I have stories like this, not exactly like this, but just where I can't describe it by anything but God did it. We should have stories like that. If we don't, we're probably not viewing rightly God's activity in our lives. It's another sermon. She had delivered an ultimatum to God. She told God that if he was there, he should show himself to her in some way. He must do this in three months. 
if she didn't, if he didn't, she told him, I'll quit my schooling, I'll quit theology, I'll quit religion, and I think I'm going to quit living because there's nothing for me to live for. After explaining this, she turned to Stuart Briscoe's wife, Jill, with great emotion and said, the three months ends today. How do you do that, God? He had to pass through Samaria. He had to have Jill Briscoe not have her keys, drive that car, pick up those hitchhiking girls, take her to a Christian conference where she would meet Jesus. He had to. Why? Because in her little world, she had defined three months and God shows up on the last day. Could he have shown up before that? Of course he could have. Could he have shown up on the first day of that three month? Of course he could have. He can show up whenever he wants. But he's doing something that magnifies his activity in the life of those who will be beneficiaries of his amazing grace. Now this woman, this woman is broken. And I want to speak to those who feel this way. Intense immorality, like if you sin for a long time in, in big ways, it leaves you beaten down. It isolates you, it breaks you, it traps you in hiding. The shame and guilt of sin, if you've, if you've ever experienced it, some of you have experienced it more than others, but it's like it's debilitating. It's paralyzing to be just chained and shackled by feelings of shame and guilt. It is such a powerful uh, motivator is not the right word, but just inhibitor of life when you feel just overwhelmed with shame and guilt. It paralyzes you from living the life that God would have you to live. When you're broken inside, you're depressed, you're troubled, you're scared of people. There's so many people that maybe are listening, that experience this at times. There's so many people that we know that are experiencing this. There's so many people that we know but don't know that they're actually living overwhelmed by shame and guilt. But they put a mask on when they go outside. Jesus cares about people like this. That's the point of this story. Jesus wants to break in and set people free. He came to remove guilt and shame, to break down the barriers of sin that have sequestered us in our loneliness. Because, why? Because of his great love. That's why he took the penalty that was ours. That's why he died on the cross and then rose again. So that he, he took the shame and the guilt so that we could live free from it. Aren't you glad of that, church? He doesn't want you to be there anymore. He doesn't want the Samaritan woman to stay there. Why? Because he loves her. Because he loves you. He had to pass through Samaria because you were there. You were there in your brokenness. You were there in your, your lostness. And Jesus had to come get you. And that's what he's done. And that's what he's doing. It's out of his great love. 
Jesus is breaking all kinds of social barriers and religious taboos. And he could care less what the world thinks of him. And he's happily coming to get you. He's not doing it reluctantly. He had to pass through Samaria. He was tired and he was thirsty. He did it out of love. He did it happily. There's not an ounce of reluctance in Jesus to come for you, to touch you, to deal with you. Because his love is so deep, so wide, so high, so long. Rejoice, church, in the love of Jesus. The question is this. Will you receive him? Won't you have a Savior like this? That's this. You could be the recipient of the beneficiary of God's grace. It's a gift. All you have to do is receive it. Will you receive it? Have you received it? Is your name, you are either living under the rule and reign as a beneficiary of grace, or you are still living under the rule and reign and sin. You can't be in both positions. One is completely the opposite of the other. You're either living under the rule and reign of his grace, or you're living under the rule and reign and sin. Which is it? No one is beyond the reach of God's grace. No one. Jesus came for those who think they already have a relationship with God, and he came for those who desperately realize they don't. Where are you? It's 1048. And I, I just have a few comments that I want to make to the Nicodemus character, to, the, to those who think they might be beyond the need of God's grace. And I think this is important because here we have a person who's so different than the Samaritan woman. But he needs Jesus just as much as she does. The challenge is he doesn't see his need for Jesus. She doesn't have to be convinced in her brokenness. But sometimes people, you ever reach out to someone whose life they just seem to have all together? They got money, they got cars, sending the kids to private schools. Everything seems like, do you believe that they're beyond the, the need of God's grace? That they've got enough stuff here on earth that they're, they're happy enough? No. No, that, that's not going to suffice. They need Jesus just as bad. That's why Jesus always said some scary things to the rich, which includes all of us, guys. Jesus, the words he said to the rich that should scare us, that, should, that scared people, should scare all of us. Because we live in a community where people have so much stuff that they don't see their need for Jesus, but they do need Jesus. No one's beyond their need for Jesus. It reminds me of a story, and I'm not going to unpack it all, but this reminds me of the story of the prodigal son, which you'll find in the Gospel of Luke also. And the prodigal son's story is interesting because, you remember, there's a, there's a, a will being played out there, too. He's a beneficiary of grace, but he actually wishes that his dad would die a little bit quicker so that he could get the money. So he goes to his dad and says, hey, I, you haven't died yet. I wish you would, but you haven't yet. So can I just get what you were going to give me now? And the father in the story gives it to him. And then we know, we know the story. He goes off prostitutes, drugs. I mean, he's just living hard until he spends it all. And then where does he end up? 
he ends up feeding some pigs for a farmer. And he was, as he's feeding the pigs, he's like, servants at my dad's house eat better than I do. He was eating what the pigs were eating. And so we know this. Who is he in the story? When we think about this story, he ends up like the woman at the well, right? He's the broken sinner. He's no one. The message there is, hey, no one, not even the prodigal sons, beyond the reach of God's grace. But there's another person in that story, and we tend to overlook it. It's his big brother. And his big brother has done everything right. Stayed at home. Always obeyed. It's the scripture says, I've always obeyed you. He says that to the father. Well, the father, when the prodigal son comes home, he runs out, meets him, waits for him every day, loving for him, shows him incredible grace, throws a party for him. My son, is he went away, he died to me, but he's come back alive. It's a picture of the grace of God for people who think they're beyond the reach of God's grace. But the story ends not with that brother. The story ends with the older brother. And the older brother won't even participate in the party. Why? Because he's so annoyed that the father would be so kind to the younger son. When look at me. And he charges the father. He's angry with the father. Remember the father has to go looking for him. Why won't you come in? party why don't you out there sulking he's angry you I've done everything I've done everything that you've asked I've never disobeyed and you you never threw a party for me you never gave you never killed a goat for me and had my friends over for a party he's shaking his fists what is he he is a person that has it all together and believes that if you do all the right things then God owes me he's the person that says I know what kind of God you are Got to earn it. And I've done it. I'm beyond the need of this Jesus. Give me what's mine. I earned it. No one, church, is beyond the need of God's grace. And this, this is the point of the prodigal son that I think is so important for all of us to see. Where did the elder brother, where does his legalism, where does his self-righteousness, where does he live? He lives in the father's house. What's the point of the story? The point of the story is that those who think they're beyond the need of God's grace are often in the father's house. They're in the church. They're in the congregation. They're in the pulpit. And the scripture here, John 4 and back in the, John 3, wants us to see that no one is beyond the reach of God's grace and no one, not any of you, is beyond the need of God's grace. Now, I said this to J. Russ before I, I began preaching. Here's the, ch- here's the challenge. If I said to you, raise your hand if like you're in the group of no one's people that are that feel like they're sometimes beyond the reach of God's grace. If I said, raise your hand. And then I said, now raise your hand if sometimes you feel like you're beyond the need of God's grace. Do you know what I would do? You got me? Sometimes I feel like I'm beyond the need of God's grace. I'm like Nicodemus. Sometimes I feel like I'm beyond the reach of God's grace. In fact, it's kind of like that song, the Verve sang, Bittersweet Symphony. I'm a million different people from one day to the next. It's like, I don't know who I am. 
like from hour to hour. Sometimes I feel like I'm beyond God, the reach of God's grace. He couldn't possibly love me anymore. And sometimes I feel like, man, I don't really need him very much. The trick is to preach the gospel to ourselves in such a way every day, every hour, to be so aware of the love of God uh, and, and Jesus for sinners that in those moments where you feel like you're not, you don't need God's grace, you remind yourself, yes, I do, yes, I do, yes, I do. I'm not beyond the need of God's grace. And on those moments where you feel like, I'm so destitute, I can't believe I did that again. I can't believe i got to go tell my fight club this again. I can't believe, I'm, I'm going to hide it now. I'm going to leave this one. I'm not going to tell anybody this. In those moments, you're not beyond the reach of God's grace. That's God's incredible grace. We'll end with this, and Jairus will share some closing thoughts. You've never been so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. And you will never be so bad that you're beyond the reach of it. Amen? Amen.